right, I got a, a fun story for you tonight. It's out of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus has been assembling his team together, uh, people that he is going to invest in, spend time with, teach so that they follow him, ultimately so that when Jesus goes back to heaven, these 12 people can then go out and continue to spread his message and change the world. And so here's one of the guys that he comes to in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to start verse 27. It says, After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind, and he got up and he began to follow him. Now here's what happens. Verse 29 says, Levi gave a big reception for Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? Let me stop right there and explain a few things to you. This person named Levi, he also goes by the name of Matthew. If you've ever heard the book of Matthew in the Bible, this is the guy that wrote it. Luke's giving an account of Levi, or Matthew's, call to follow Jesus. And Levi, Matthew, he's just sitting in his tax booth doing what tax collectors would do, going throughout a normal day's business. But all of a sudden, a guy comes past his booth named Jesus. And Jesus, all he has to do is say, follow me. And immediately, Levi, Matthew, he gets up and he starts to follow Jesus. That seems kind of bizarre, doesn't it? I mean... Just think about this. If you're sitting at your desk at school or if you're working at your job and somebody comes up to you and says, follow me, what are you going to do? Probably going to think they're weird. Just keep, go back to whatever you're doing, right? But what if the somebody who calls you to follow them is somebody that you have heard about? And it's not just somebody you've heard about. It's somebody that the whole world has heard about and is hearing about. So think about it like this. You're out on the basketball court practicing, playing basketball, getting ready for your next game, and Le not LeBron James because he's not the best, but Steph Curry comes out on the basketball court. He says, hey, follow me. What are you going to do? We know, we know what Bryce is doing. He's bringing the basketball, right? He's following, he's following Steph. Um, so think about it this way. You're, uh, you're playing your music, and uh, you're, you're practicing with the band. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's up here at the church. You're playing with the worship team. And uh, all of a sudden, a Christian artist, music artist, comes up to you and says, Hey, I want you to follow, I just want you to come with me. What are you going to do? Put the guitar down and go follow him, right? This is what happens when Jesus comes to Levi. Levi's heard about Jesus, everybody's heard about Jesus. This is the guy who can heal diseases that no doctor can figure out what's going on. This is the guy who can make the mute speak. He can make the lame people to walk. He can restore sight to the blind. This is the guy who's been able to pronounce to people, you're forgiven, go and sin no more, and people find new life and new meaning to the life that they've been living on earth. So what do you think would happen if somebody like that came and said, follow me? I imagine that Levi, sitting there in his tax booth, goes, you know what? I've been waiting all my life to figure out what life is all about. Man, I make a good living off of being a tax collector, sitting in this tax booth, 
but I've been living that life. The prospect of something better and greater and different seems really good about now. He says, Levi left his stuff and followed Jesus. He got up and started walking after him. He says he left everything behind and he began to follow Jesus. But that's not all. Levi realized the moment he started following Jesus that there was something greater in life than he'd ever experienced in his following Jesus. And so what he does is gives a big party at his house. And he invites all of his friends to come. Other tax collectors and people that are reclining at the table with him. And here's the thing about tax collectors. Everybody had heard about them too. And guess what? Nobody really liked them. In fact, I imagine that when Levi wanted to throw a party and invite people to his house, there were probably some people around in town that went, Levi's throwing a party? Yeah, right. He took so much money from my family, we can never throw a party at our house. I'm not going over there with him. But all of Levi's other crew, his fellow tax collectors, those that had worked with him and had been involved in collecting taxes, and man, if Levi left his tax booth to go follow this guy named Jesus, we might need to go see what's going on with Levi. We might need to come and find out what this Jesus person is all about. Why Matthew would leave such a lifestyle behind where he had money that he wanted when nobody else around him really did. And then Levi starts to bring in some other people from town. I imagine that there were some people around in, in Levi's part of the world that nobody else really liked either. And so it didn't matter if Levi was a tax collector. Those people just heard, hey, there's a party. There's going to be free food and lots of fun. You guys want to come? And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll come. And I imagine they showed up at Levi's house trying to mooch and get all this free stuff. But they saw that this was a different atmosphere at this party than they'd ever experienced before. There was this guy named Jesus, and everybody kind of seemed to be gravitating towards him. But Jesus wasn't in a drunken stupor, and everybody wasn't looking at him like, oh, this guy's hilarious. Everybody was listening to him intently. They were hanging on every word that he said. And then there were some other people that came, the Pharisees. And I'm sure Levi was fine with them being there because he wanted as many people to meet Jesus as possibly could because Jesus had changed his life. But these people known as Pharisees were the religious people. They were kind of like the, the churchgoers in this town. They went to synagogues, what the Jews called it. Every week they'd gather together and read from God's word. They'd try to live their lives pleasing to God. And they liked to judge other people. You're not doing what God wants you to do. We are, and we're better than you. This is the way that the Pharisees lived their lives. And the Pharisees had heard about Jesus too. But the Pharisees grew jealous of Jesus because everybody started listening to Jesus and what he taught about God because they saw God's power resting upon Jesus and everybody was leaving the Pharisees behind. They weren't coming to Pharisees anymore with their theological questions. They weren't asking the Pharisees anymore what God's word meant. They weren't asking the Pharisees anymore what God's will was. They were going to Jesus and listening to Jesus. The Pharisees get a little upset about this. And so then they ask their question. Hey, Jesus... Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? In other words, why are you hanging out with this group of people? Nobody likes them, and we don't like them. Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. <whistles> Made the Pharisees kind of even more agitated, didn't it? And so then they, they have the audacity to keep going. It's just 
makes them even more mad. Jesus is basically telling them, look, you guys think you're following God, but really, you claim you're following God, but you, you live like you don't need Him. You live like you've got everything put together. You don't need God's grace to forgive you. You don't need God in your life whatsoever. You just do your own thing, and you think everybody else ought to be just like you. But reality is you're broken just like everybody else in this town. So Jesus said, I've just come to call people who need Jesus. Or, 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 Jesus said, I've, I've come to call people who need God, who need a relationship with Him. That's what I've come to do. That's what I've come to give them is a relationship with God the Father in heaven. So the Pharisees said, well, Jesus, then we've got a problem with the way you're talking about God. They said to him, the disciples of John, John the Baptist, those guys often, they fast. That means they go without food and they offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But Jesus, your disciples, you do the opposite. You guys are eating and drinking all the time. What's going on? Jesus said to these Pharisees, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in those days. Fasting was a Jewish practice that uh, the Pharisees engaged in every week. Monday and Thursdays, were days that Pharisees, that Jews who wanted to please God, chose to fast. Every week, Monday and Thursday, they wouldn't eat. John's disciples, John the Baptist, came preaching a message of repentance, that you need to turn from your wicked ways and, and turn towards God. John the Baptist's disciples, most of them were Jewish. They continued to fast on Monday and Thursday. So instead of eating during their normal meal times, what they would do is spend that time in prayer to God. And basically, it was their way of saying, God, we need you more than we need food. That's how much we love you. That's how much we're devoted to you and committed to you. And it's a nice thought that people wanted to love God that much, isn't it? But here's the problem. Those people didn't just want to show God how much they loved him. They wanted to show everybody else around them how much they loved God. And so it didn't become an act of devotion to God so much as it became an act of competition with everybody else around them. Well, I've fasted Monday and Thursday for the past 14 years. God loves me more than you. This is kind of their attitude. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, and he's not fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, they're like, wait, what's this guy all about? And it's not just that he's not fasting on Mondays and Thursdays like we do, and like every good religious God-fearing Jew does, it's that he's eating with people that we don't even associate with. Why is he doing that? We don't like that. But we can't, we can't really deny the fact that God's power is working through him because he's doing all these miracles and he's teaching and people are coming to listen to him and hear him. And so here's what happens. Jesus gave them a parable. Verse 36. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. So think about this. Anybody get new clothes for Christmas? All right, all right, there we go. We got some out there. Anybody got old clothes at home that might need to be, like, thrown away? I do, man. I mean, after you, you know, after you got, like, four or five holes in a pair of jeans, they're just broken in, right? Why throw them away? How many of you are going to go home tonight and go, you know what, I think I'm going to fix my old pair of jeans. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that brand new pair of jeans that I got for Christmas, and I'm going to cut patches out of that brand new pair of jeans, and I'm going to sew them onto my old jeans that need to be thrown away. Does that make any sense to anybody? No. I mean, who would do that? If you do that, you ruin the new jeans, and then when you wash the old jeans, and those patches that you put on your old jeans go through the washing machine and the dryer, they're just going to get torn off, and the holes are going to be even bigger. So you haven't fixed the old pair of jeans. You've ruined the old pair and the new pair. Jesus says, guys, pay attention to what I'm saying. This is a parable. It has a deeper meaning. And then he goes on and he kind of gives them a second level to this parable. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, new wine will burst the, the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, this is going to be a little bit different because we don't practice this a lot in, in our days. If, uh, if you want to go buy wine, you go to the store and buy it. But in Jesus' day, when these people would take the grapes and they would want to make wine, what they would do is get their juice, they'd squeeze it out of, of the fruit, and then they would pour it into wine skins. These skins were made of goats, right? So you slaughter a goat, you, you eat the goat, but then you use the skin, pretty much the whole goat, and you fill up the goat with this juice that's come out of, out of the grape so that when the wine ferments inside of this skin of this animal, you can tie it up, and you'd leave it to sit, and then after a, a little while, you'd take that goat, and you'd open it back up, and you'd pour it into another wine skin so that it could continue the process of aging. Now, here's why you would put this new, freshly squeezed wine into new wine skins. The skins of those goats that had just been slaughtered were soft, and they were semi-porous. So, when the, when the wine began to ferment, the gas would expand, and that soft skin from the goat would be able to withstand the pressure changes as the wine was changing. But if you poured new, freshly squeezed juice into old wine skins that were hardened and crusted, the wine as it was fermenting would burst, and you'd end up with a nasty, sticky mess everywhere. Jesus says, guys, who's going to go out and do the hard work of harvesting grapes and then squeezing out the juice only to put this new wine into old wineskins so that it's ruined? Nobody's going to do that, are they? And then Jesus goes on to say this, No one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old's good enough. I've been drinking it long enough, I'm fine, I don't need the new stuff, I don't need anything better. What I've got, I'm perfectly happy and content with. What's Jesus talking about when he gives this three-leveled parable? Here's what I think he means. And here's what I think he's saying. Levi, when he heard the call from Jesus to follow me, what did he do? You guys remember Levi, the tax collector? Jesus said, follow me. What did Levi do when Jesus said, follow me? He followed. He did it. He left his stuff and he went and followed Jesus. When the Pharisees heard Jesus talking to people, hey, come and repent. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and you can be forgiven. What did the Pharisees do? They got mad. They rejected it. In fact, this is what's so crazy about it. John the Baptist had come on the scene preaching to repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. That is, that Messiah was soon coming. 
And then here's the other crazy thing. The Pharisees were living all of their lives waiting for the Messiah to come. God's anointed one who had saved them from their sins. But when Jesus came and Jesus said, Guys, I'm here to make all things new. You know what they did? We, we don't we want the Messiah, but we don't really want everything new. You mean if, if we want to be saved and we want to be forgiven of our sins, we have to actually confess those? I'm not sure we want to do that. You, Jesus, you mean you'll give us life, new life, abundant life, eternal life, but if you give us that new, abundant, eternal life, then we've got to give you the stuff in our lives right now? We've got to give everything over to you? These people didn't like it. And so here's the issue that, that came up. Some people thought, well, you know, we kind of like what Jesus does. I mean, he does all kinds of miracles. Nobody else had been able to do that before. He told so-and-so off. That was pretty good. That person had been getting on our nerves for years. Jesus made him look like a fool. So we kind of like him for that reason. But we don't really, man, that call to follow him is hard. So let's not give up all of our stuff. Let's just take Jesus and let's put him into our religious system, right? Let's take the new garment and patch up our old, holy, and broken life. Not holy in the sense of honoring God, but holy in the sense of torn apart, empty, and messed up. But that's not how following Jesus works. If Jesus says, follow me, and he does to every single one of us, and we say, well, I'd like to follow Jesus and go to heaven when I die. I'd like to follow Jesus and experience God. But I don't really want to give up my old way of life. Jesus says, that doesn't work. You can't just cut me out and put me as a patch on your old life. It ain't going to work. It's like new garments and old garments. You don't cut a piece off brand new clothing and patch holes in the old not going to work that way and Jesus is trying to help these people understand you can't just put me in your life and keep living it the way that you want to you don't put new wine into old wine skins that is you don't just say Jesus come into my life and I'll let you have this part of me when I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays but God when I'm hanging out with my friends on on Friday nights or, Lord, when I'm with my buddies on, on Saturday mornings, or, God, when I'm at work Monday through Friday, you can't really have that part of me. Jesus, I, I want to put you in here. I'll let you come into my life, and, and you can do that stuff in this area, but, Jesus, everything else is mine. It, it belongs to me. Jesus says, guys, that's not going to work. You don't put fresh wine into old wineskins. And then Jesus says this, and this is perhaps the hardest thing of all. Jesus says, nobody, nobody, after drinking the old wine, says, yeah, I'd like the new. Because they're content with what they've had. Do you know Jesus wants to give you something so much greater and better than you have ever experienced? But yet some of you are holding on to life without him. Because you're perfectly happy and satisfied and content with what you got. And here's reality. You can be perfectly happy and satisfied and content with what you've got now, but in the long run, you're missing out on what God has for you. 
Jesus doesn't want to just be put onto your old life. He doesn't want to just come into a little part of your life. He wants to come and take over everything. He wants to take the old, tattered, torn up, beaten down, broken, messed up you, the one who sinned and disobeyed, the one who tries to hide stuff and cover it up. He wants to take that person and give you a whole new life. He wants to come in and completely change everything. He wants to take over. He doesn't just want part of you, he wants all of you. And when he gets all of you, when you give him everything, when you turn all of it over to him as Lord, he gives you abundant, new, eternal, fresh life in his name. And he's able to do it every time there was a Levi that left the tax booth, Jesus gave him new life. Every time there was a Peter that left his fishing next, Jesus gave that person new life. Every time there was a Pharisee who said, you know what, I'm tired of living the religious facade. I'm going to come to Jesus and have a real conversation with him about what's really going on in my heart and my life. Jesus would give new life, abundant life, eternal life. And he wants to do that same thing for you. If you'll give your life to him, he'll give you new life. But you can't just say, Jesus, come in and have this part. Jesus, I'll give you a little peace. It's all or nothing. With Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, test me out, try me. He says, drop it all and follow me. So that's my question for you. Are you going to leave it all and follow him? Father God, we thank you so much for this time we've had together tonight to hear from you. God, I pray that as you call us through your son Jesus to follow you, that we'd step out in faith and obedience even if we can't see what you're doing, even if it doesn't always make sense to us, that we'd have the faith that we need to trust you, to go wherever you call us. God, may you give us the courage, may you give us the faith to follow and obey you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.